edition of the Scarlet Nation podcast on 24-7 Sports for ScarletNation.com. I'm Bobby Darren. Welcome. Uh, we have another basketball edition of our Scarlet Nation podcast. Uh, less than 24 hours after Rutgers defeated Nebraska in dramatic fashion in overtime by a final score of 87-82 to put Rutgers at 10-7 and on the season, a much-needed home win. Uh, we're going to dissect uh, that game and, and, and what it means for the program, and we'll look ahead and uh, you know, joining me today, Chris Sikonis, uh, thank you for coming on, Chris. As always, you were at the game last night. Um, you know, tell me what that vibe was like through the last eight minutes as Rutgers launched that comeback and, and wound up winning in overtime. Yeah, Bobby. So going into around eight minutes left, it kind of looked like, you know, Rutgers had shown some flashes, but it looked like Nebraska was ultimately going to close out the win and, and you know, Rutgers would have uh, fallen to one and five in Big Ten play. But as Rutgers slowly chipped away at it, um, you, you felt the energy in the building just slowly start to rise. And it really got to a crescendo those last you know two, three minutes when you know Rutgers came back to pull it within three and then ultimately came back to tie. Um, so I think the energy gradually built. It ended up being a pretty good crowd. It looked a bit light at tip off, but fans, I think, came in a bit late. Um, so, you know, the energy was really there and, and, you know, the students were back on campus. So that was a big help. And, you know, there were some, uh, football recruits, uh, on hand as we've you know talked about on the site, but that's, um, we'll get more into that on, on another uh, show. Um, but you know, I, the energy in the building was just, you know, it, it was top notch down a stretch and we talk about home court advantage and, you know, the advantage at Jersey Mike's arena brings for Rutgers. I think you really saw that on display. If they're playing that game in Lincoln or even on a neutral site, I don't think Rutgers comes back to win that game. And I think the crowd played a big factor for sure, especially with some of the miscues that Nebraska had down the stretch. And you can see when Rutgers goes through a lulls, fans kind of get up and it's almost like they're trying to will them to victory. And it really is a, a special atmosphere. And, you know, the win is good, too, to keep fan interest because you want to keep having that home atmosphere. If you go on a losing streak, you might not see as many show up. You might not have that same home court. So big for Rutgers to utilize it. But, you know, down the stretch, Chris, it seemed like that, that nobody wanted to make that big shot to put Rutgers over the edge, even if it was foul shots. Um, but. But, you know, kind of came together and, and, you know, Cliff really had a big game. And, uh, you know, you were there, you saw him, you talked to him afterwards. It, it seems like that was really a much needed thing for this team. And you could see the team rally around him. What was Cliff like after the game when you spoke to him? Um, Cliff was pretty, I, I think, I don't know if relieved is the right word, but he was just, you know, he was feeling good about his performance. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, looking at how Cliff was playing in the start of Big Ten play, he was averaging off the top of my head 5.8 points per game, 6.4 rebounds a game in Big Ten play. Um, so, you know, conference play had been a struggle. He talked about how tough of a league uh, the Big Ten is to play in. Um, and I think, you know, you sort of saw it start to click for him. Down the stretch especially, um, had a few key dunks and layups, uh, you know, down that stretch on that last run to push Rutgers uh, to overtime. Um, Rutgers, I think, did a much better job of feeding him uh, in the post down the stretch. Um, you know, and, and I think you know that was a big factor because uh, you know there have been long stretches where uh, Cl Cliff Amore just has not been able to consistently get you know looks at the basket and make looks at the basket. And I think when that's the case, it really limits what Rutgers can do offensively. I think you know the fact that Rutgers was able to get him involved, he looked a lot more aggressive down the stretch. Um, you know, and he talked about that after the game how he felt he needed to be aggressive um, on the inside. Um, I, I think when you see that Cliff Amori, it opens up a lot for Rutgers. And, you know, Rutgers kept feeding it in the paint. I think the last time I had the last seven made field goals of regulation, if I remember correctly, were uh, in the paint, either from Amori or, or from someone else. Um, 
you know, having that paint presence, especially on a team that doesn't have a lot of perimeter shooting, you know, that's really important. I think you saw the importance of that down to stretch. When Cliff Amore is doing that on the offensive side, in addition to what he does, you know, on the glass, finish with 15 boards, uh, four blocks as well, um, you know, that really raises the ceiling of what Rutgers can do. Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of a trademark Pico win, you know, kind of a gritty, tough, ugly win. Uh, game, you know, it might not have been the prettiest at times, but it goes down as a win. And, and you know, you rely on our defense at the end. It, you know, Nebraska couldn't buy a bucket, you know, uh, to, through the final eight minutes and leading into overtime. So, um, you know, it kind of you kind of expect it, even though this team is down a little bit. Th- th- this is what we talked about earlier. You'll get those tough, pico, gritty trademark signature wins. And, and, you know, Chris, what do you think, you know, talking to the guys, talking to Pike afterwards, what do you think uh, that this can do for this team? I mean, it really a much needed win, you know, for the fan base all around and, and the team. But I mean, do you think this can, can really help them move moving forward? I think so. I think, look, um, especially in college sports, we talk about it, you know, confidence and momentum are two big things that that can really shape a game even more so than necessarily the players on the court or, you know, the X's and O's or or what have you. I I think that a win like this can propel you because I mean, think about how they want to, right. You're down 12 points. Um, Actually they were down by double digits twice. Once in the first half, once in the second, they came back twice. Um, And you come back, you force overtime crowd is, on another level, I think as loud as it's been all year. Um, and you come back, you win that game in overtime. And when you put it in the context of where Rutgers had been heading into that, you know, losing three of uh, the last four uh, in Big Ten play, um, you know, I, I think that does a lot for a team mentally. And, and you know, you feel like the confidence could grow from that, uh, you know, momentum. If, if you can, can parlay this momentum down the stretch, I think that's a big thing. Um, but I do think the potential is there for this to be a turning point. I, I'll also say this, it, looking at, you know, Big Ten play, and you, know, you could throw in the Wake Forest game too, because I think that was a wake-up call in terms of high major opposition for Rutgers. Um, Rutgers, to me, looks like it's getting progressively better and more comfortable in, in Big Ten play as the season has gone on. And I think if Rutgers can continue that trend, um, you know, you've got a decent amount of home games left. You've got you know, some opportunities on the road. The Big Ten's a down conference. I think this is a team that can win some games. I'm not saying they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to finish quite at that level. But I think, you know, when you have a defense as good as Rutgers' defense, and you know, looking at the Bart Torbeck numbers, Rutgers number six in the country and adjusted uh, defensive efficiency. When your defense is that good, you'll win games. You know, and I do think Rutgers has the potential to really parlay that into something more positive down the stretch, even though the next two games, Illinois-Purdue, um, are, are both going to be pretty tough. Yeah, and, you know, they don't match up well against Illinois. Never really have better matchup against Purdue, and traditionally, even when Purdue was good, but I don't know about this year. Number two in the country, Purdue, is going to come uh, to Piscataway on January 28th. And then, you know, looking at the schedule after that, you have Penn State at at home, which is a winnable game. Uh, Rutgers is going to Michigan um, Michigan is having a terrible year. So, you know, you have a chance in those two games. Then you're home or you're away at Maryland. That's always a tough place to play home against Wisconsin, uh, who's number 11 in the country. So, uh, you know, then you host Northwestern and, and you go to Minnesota. So it's it's kind of like a seesaw. You got two really tough games, you know, and then you got some games. OK, this is winnable, then too tough. So, um, 
I think you hit the nail on the head with the home court advantage. You're going to have to play well at home. You know, I, I don't see a ton of road victories here, but you know, just just to to grab some wins and and, and be steady. I, I don't think anybody's expecting, uh, you know, the world this year from this team. But just be steady and and, and give yourselves a chance. You know, to have a 500 season. Um, you know, NIT is is you know it's always there as well. But um, you know, like you said, I think the Big Ten is down. And and to me, I, from watching the end of that game, they're going to have to have some key players step up and hit big shots when they need it. Um, like you saw on the foul line last night, they could have ended that game in regulation, simple foul shots. And and I don't know if the guys are just bad shooters, but I think the situation might have got the best of Austin Williams. Seemed like he was in his head going 0 for 6. Cliff missed that. Andre Hyatt, that one where he stepped up and, and hit one out of two to tie, uh, he looked terrified on the first shot. So I I think you have to get some guys comfortable in trying to be the guy in those situations because they're going to need it coming down the stretch. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big factor, like you said, Bobby, You know, uh, in some of these games because a lot of these games, especially at home, I think are going to go down to the wire um, You know, because you know, there are going to be nights where in terms of ex- of uh, personnel, um, Rutgers will outman you know, offensively. Other teams will have uh, you know more – uh, shooters, more players that can make plays offensively, and Rutgers are going to have to find a way to dig deep in those moments. Um, you know, in the free throws, you know, Boston William missed a couple early on, too. That also played a factor. Um, but if you look at at the numbers, it was, um, you know, outside of Williams, who finished 0 for 6, and Amori, who, as good as he was overall, was 2 for 7, you know, Rutgers made you know, 14 of 17 free throws. So I, I do think that the potential is there if, if those two can really um, get – you know, into more of a rhythm at the foul line. And this isn't just to like focusing on just them. It's just, you know, uh, a factor in the game. I, I do think Rutgers has shown the potential to, you know, improve in that department. So I think that's going to be an interesting to watch, but you're right, Bobby, that's going to be important um, for Rutgers to close out games down the stretch. And, you know, and I think that could ultimately be a determining factor in terms of whether or not Rutgers can, you know, potentially work its way into the NIT conversation at least, or if, you know, it's just a question of where you finish, uh, uh, in the Big Ten. I think that's going to be a big question moving forward. Yeah, and, you know, next up on the docket is Illinois. Uh, they, they still play. Um, they have a, they have a game tonight against Michigan, uh, but they've, they're coming off a loss, a nine-point loss to Maryland in their building. So, um, you know, another Big Ten team that you think, oh, this is this is the team to beat, and, you know, it's not the case. But uh, just, just not a real great matchup for Rutgers. Already one loss to Illinois in the year. But, I mean, going back to, to you know, when Rutgers just started this resurgence, Illinois has always kind of been a thorn in the side. Um, what do you expect from them on the road against them? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, Bobby. Uh, it's it's going to be pretty tough. You know, Illinois just has, you know, that combination of, you know, a lot of scores, um, but also a, sort of a physical presence that Rutgers doesn't really have at the moment. Um, so mm-hmm. I do think that that's going to be a really tough matchup. I think it's going to be very difficult for Rutgers to find a way to pull out a win there. Um, you know, even without Terrence Shannon Jr., I mean, you look at Marcus Damask, who's averaging 22 points a game in, in Big Ten play. You know, Illinois has got a lot of weapons, and, and it's tricky defensively, even for a really good defensive team like Rutgers, um, to sort of match up against that. And I do think that's going to be tough. Um, I do think Rutgers has improved on the glass uh, a lot in the last few games. So I don't think the rebounding is fairly quite what it was uh, at, at Jersey Mike's arena um, when they played last month. Um, but I, I think it's going to be very difficult to win in that environment. I, I think, you know, I think it could be closer than you know what we saw because Rutgers really struggled the first go around. But I, I have a hard time seeing Rutgers winning that game, if I'm being honest. 
Yeah, first game, you know, on December 2nd at uh, Jersey Mike, 76-58 final in favor of Illinois in a game that Rutgers really never threatened to, to you know, to take over. Um, but, you know, another one I wanted to touch on, you know, a lot of people talked about coming in the year, Gavin Griffiths, highest ranked signee ever. Um, he will be surpassed, obviously, by Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper. But you know, coming into this season, this is your biggest recruit ever. Last night hits a couple threes, but just plays seven minutes. I mean, do you see him progressing? It's, it seems like he's just, uh, you know, it's if, if you compare it to football, it seemed like he would have benefited better with a red shirt development year because he, he looks kind of, you know, still very slight out there. I did. I feel like I, I saw progress from him in the sense that not just, you know, you know, there were some makes from him, but also. Uh, I think when he was on the court, Rutgers did a better job of getting him the ball in spots where he can do things. Like there were a couple of times where they got him the ball in the corner. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's sort of where he's going to have to be. I don't see Gavin Griffiths, at least at this point in his career, being a guy that can, you know, create his own shot like in the mid range or by, you know, creating space against defenders. You know, if he's going to get points, it's going to be, you know, catch and shoot in the corner. It's going to be, you know, try to get him open on the perimeter and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And if Rutgers can do a better job of doing that, I think we saw an improvement in that regard in terms of setting up Gavin Griffiths. I think if Rutgers mm-hmm. can build on that, I think the potential is there for him to, um, you know, show progress, have nights like tonight where, you know, he doesn't necessarily light up the score sheet entirely, but you see glimpses of what he can be. I think in the long term, right. he'll be fine. I think it's just, you know, it's a very tough learning curve going to the Big Ten. Um, but you know, I mean, the potential is there. We all know what he can do. You know, you, you look at his shooting form; it hasn't changed. It's it's just a question of him finding his rhythm. And I think it's something that Rutgers is going to have to focus on because this is a team that needs points. And if you can find a way to get, you know, a couple key baskets a night off the bench from Gavin Griffiths, I think that could make all the difference in the world offensively. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a guy I see next year is really coming in and being able to benefit from some open spacing on the floor when you bring in guys like Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper. But not to fast forward and talk about that, uh, you know, Derek Simpson last night, you know, he played some good point grade. He had eight assists to one turnover. That's a pretty good stat line. Now he's still three for 13 shooting. Um, but if he can focus on more of those point guard duties, it could help the team all around. Um, you know, he, he, you know what he is. He, he's, he's a scorer. He loves to shoot. But um facilitating is a big deal and you lose a Paul Mulcahy who was kind of like a floor general who really set guys up and you know one of the reasons that did Cliff had all those monster dunks last year you know was because he was set up nicely and a lot of that had to do with Mulcahy running the floor and um you know you saw those pick and rolls with those dunks those alley-oops and you just don't see as much this year and uh, you know I think you have to look to to the distribution of the basketball and how how that's done and and, and you lose a guy like Mulcahy and that that's something that that you know that's missed on this year's team but um if if they can get some semblance of, of of true point guard play moving forward it'll benefit them immensely in my opinion yeah and i think that's an area where i think Derek simpson can really thrive uh if he becomes uh, less of a shoot first kind of a player more of like what we saw last mm-hmm. night where he's a facilitator um because you know outside of the occasional night where he's really been able to find his shot um, he hasn't been able to make a ton of shots. And, and I think he's gotten himself some good looks. You know, I don't think he's just, mm-hmm. you know, forcing things, but it's just the shot just hasn't fallen. But if you're in his position, you know, especially how he's being played, you know, in the starting uh, lineup alongside Austin Williams in the backcourt, um, he's going to have to be that facilitator. Um, and I think he's capable mm-hmm. of doing it. So I think, you know, I'm curious to see if, you know, the mentality shifts a little bit for him where he's not necessarily taking 12, 13, however many shots a night, but he is looking to pass a bit more. I think we saw mm-hmm. some 
promising growth from him in that regard. But that's the role he's going to need to take on down the stretch because most nights the shot, unfortunately for him, has not been falling. Um, mm -hmm. I also think that's going to be a role where, you know, moving forward, if, you know, potentially next year, he, he could find a real niche doing that. And uh, I think if that's the case, you know, he could, you know, really blossom in that role. But I'm curious to see how that role evolves moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, there was one play as well as he played, uh, you know, it was towards the end and, and they were fighting it to get back the lead in the 60s. And uh, he pulled up for a jumper around the top of the key and missed it horribly. Cliff came up with a big rebound and, and, and scored off of that. But I mean, I think that's an example of where you have to have a little more patience as a point guard and try to find a better shot than, you know, a pull up jumper with a guy in your face from 20 feet. But, you know, like you said, learning curve in the Big Ten is, is ongoing. He's just a second year guy. And um, speaking of point guard, um, you know, a, a lot of talk now about Jeremiah Williams possibly playing. You know, Pike spoke about it last night. Uh, what's what's his take on that? What's kind of the gauge on that? Are, are we closer to seeing um, Jeremiah Williams take the floor? Um, well, well, Steve Peichel seems optimistic. Said you know, you know, they're both close. Uh, they being also Emmanuel Alpel, who's uh, coming back from uh, uh, injury he suffered before he got to Rutgers. Um, but you know, he said he also said he hasn't you know heard anything concrete from the NCAA. Um, so that's still a bit in flux. Um, doesn't seem like the NCAA, at least you know, from what we've been able to gather, uh, has, has given a definitive ruling. Um, one thing to keep in mind, too, is, you know, before the gambling issue popped up, uh, the other thing with Jeremiah Williams was that uh, he could not initially play as a two-time transfer. That rule has since hmm. been suspended by a judge in uh, West Virginia until the end of the uh, current academic calendar year. Um, so that is not really the issue now. It's pretty much, for, from my understanding, just the gambling. Um, and, and the NCAA, mm -hmm. from what Pike said last night, ha has not ruled on that or, or said anything to Rutgers about that. So um, I think that's really what we're waiting on. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I think once we get more clarity on that, I think we'll have a good idea of when we see Jeremiah Williams on the court. So, But I will say this, from seeing him practice um, and just the skill set that he brings, he's, he's a much more efficient scorer compared to some of the other guards on Rutgers right now. Um, mm -hmm. If they can find a way to get him eligible this year, that would be an immediate upgrade for Rutgers guard play. And I think that would, that could have a real impact down the stretch if that happens. But again, you know, still unclear on what's going on with the NCAA. Yeah, and a big point guard who can defend, too, and create problems just with his size and length alone. So, um, you know, that would be a plus to get him back this year for Rutgers. But, uh, you know, anything else to close out, Chris, that we didn't touch on? Um, I just think, you know, a win like this, you know, it kind of keeps, you, you know, the potential of turning the season into something alive. You know, if you look at Rutgers resume, um, you know, not a lot of impressive wins. Most impressive win I would say right now would be a Seton Hall on the road because Seton Hall has really, you know, clicked since those two teams met last month. And I think, you know, if Seton Hall continues to play the way that it does, you know, could be looking at an NCAA tournament team. So, um, that, that. Uh, helps Rutgers also no bad losses the Stonehill game winner from Derek Simpson um, has sort mm -hmm. of kept that at, at kept that alive I should say um, mm -hmm. but that leaves the door open for Rutgers now because if you win you know the games at home that you're supposed to win and you potentially steal a game uh, you know against a ranked opponent or a really good opponent on the road you know I, you're right in the thick of at least the the NIT conversation um, so not mm -hmm. having any bad loss on the resume at this point of the year is huge and every win sort of helps you in that. So I, I do think that the potential is still there for Rutgers to turn this into something. I've seen some positive growth on the boards as we talked about, um, you know, seen some development from guys like Simpson, Cliff Amore is going to need to have more nights like he had. 
Um, but overall, I think you have to feel good uh, as a Rutgers fan after a performance like this, where Rutgers finds a way to win um, and finds a way to get key contributors involved. And I think the potential is there to, to parlay that into something a little more substantial moving forward. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Chris, for your insight and thank you for listening. And, uh, you know, you can converse with uh, myself and Chris on the ScarletNation.com message boards, uh, the roundtable VIP message board. We're there 24 uh, seven talking Rutgers basketball, Rutgers football, Rutgers recruiting. Uh, if you're not on, get on. Uh, we're nonstop and we're really going to be kicking into another gear as, as spring football comes along, moving closer to spring football. I should say recruiting picks up. It all picks up. So, uh, you know, thank you for listening. For Chris Sikonis, I'm Bobby Durham. We'll talk to you again.